Today's scripture reading is from Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are gracious, a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made him it come up over Jonah, so it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord Jesus said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Can't tell we're wrapping up the book of Jonah today. And maybe you're here and you're, you, you have missed uh, some of this series. And so you can go back and listen to it if you want to, but just to catch you up kind of where we're at. So Jonah's a guy, he's a prophet of God. He's from the nation of Israel. He's told by God to go talk to their arch enemies, the ones who are seeking to destroy them. Jonah says, yep, I don't think that's a great idea, God. I know you're God, sovereign over the universe, all that, but I am going someplace else. And he goes exactly the opposite direction. He's with a bunch of pagans, people that don't know the Lord God, and they uh, are all praying to their God because a big storm comes up. Needless to say, they end up throwing Jonah over because Jonah tells them to. When Jonah's thrown over, the storm calms and a giant fish grabs up Jonah. He's in it for three days. In that place, there's some repentance that takes place in his heart. And he says this great prayer when he gets out uh, of the, within the fish and, and God then spits him out on the land. And he says, I'd like you to go to the place that I told you to go before. And Jonah says, yes, I'll do that right now. And so he heads that way and he begins to preach and proclaim that in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown unless they turn away from their wicked and violent ways. And they do. And God relents and is merciful on them. Now, if you're a prophet or a preacher or just any sort of person who has a goal to accomplish that's set out before them, and you look at it and you say, that's challenging. That's going to be hard. That doesn't seem like it's possible to happen. But I'm going to pursue it and go ahead and try and do it. And when you accomplish it and do it, you succeed in what you've been called to do. It becomes a reality, the thing that you had set forth as your goal. How would you respond? 
Would you be happy? Would you be elated? Well, we heard today that some Olympians recognize that their identity is not even found in all of those good things. But Jonah had a little different issue. He wasn't happy. He wasn't elated. He didn't think to himself, well, now I need to start a church in Nineveh and train these people up. What a great start. The whole city, even the king. Man, I can get going. No, Jonah, it says, is exceedingly displeased and was angry. Now, here's the amazing thing. He is not angry at the people of Nineveh changing. He is angry at God. He's angry that God sent him on this mission. He's angry that God accomplished the mission. So much so that he says, it's better for me to die. Wow. I don't know why I like Jonah so much. Hmm. What we see happening in this passage is a revealing of God's heart to us and a revealing of our own hearts. You see, what is taking place is Jonah has an idea of how God should be acting. And God acts as God acts. See, Jonah's idea of how he should be acting, of how God should be acting, is that he should follow Jonah's plan. That God, before the foundation of the world, you chose Abram. And by choosing Abram, you chose a certain group of people. And I happen to be part of those people. And guess what? You should only be blessing us. And anybody who is an enemy of us, you should be destroying And God says, no, that's not how I'm going to act. And Jonah says, see, (laughs) I told you. I told you this is what would happen when I was back before I tried to flee from you. That you are merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. This is why I didn't want to go. Because God, see, I know better than you. I know the way that you should be acting. And God says, no, let me reveal to you how I act, what it looks like. So the first thing that we see about God in this, and it's towards the end of the chapter, is that he has great concern for people. Oftentimes we can think and believe that God is distant and that he's far off, that he's not paying attention to what's happening in the world around us. It certainly seems that way sometimes. We get trapped in that Bette Midler song, from a distance God is watching us. That's an old song, sorry. It's a really old song. But in fact, it says here that God has concern. We see it in his correction of Jonah there at the very end when he says, should I not have pity or concern, is that word, for Nineveh, this great city? See, Jonah in his mind is thinking, no, you shouldn't. You should only have concern for me and mine. The people that I love, the people that are like me, the ones that you said were special. And God says, no, I have concern for all. That this great city is important to me. That I have set it aside for something and I'm going to move and have my way within it. I have concern. And so for us, it makes us recognize that even though sometimes we might feel outside of the concern of God, that in fact the truth of the matter is God is concerned for us and for those around us. 
And in that concern, he will move towards them in that steadfast pursuit and love. The second thing that we see about God in this particular passage is the way that he engages with those who are being disobedient. The first thing I think we can catch is this, that God is not a God of condemnation, but a God of correction. We don't see God coming in here when when Jonah says twice, kill me, no, kill me now. Right? He says, kill me first of all, and then he walks out of the city. Now, this is an interesting thing. Jonah walks out of the city. We believe that first part where he says, kill me, is within the city. These people have all started to repent. They've all, and he looks about and he says, this is what I told you would happen. You might as well kill me now. And God says to him, do you do well to be angry? It's a question to Jonah. It's not a condemnation. It's it's not a place of him looking at Jonah and saying, you foolish, foolish man, how stupid are you? Don't you know who I am? Stand up and be counted, Jonah, among those who dare to darken the door of the Most High. Right? That's not what he does. Very much like in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve are hiding. He doesn't say, I know what you've done, now get out here. He says, where are you? Where are you hiding? Because he's not a God of condemnation. He's a God of correction. You see, he's wanting to set their hearts back in the proper perspective, back into the right place. God, by asking that question, is he's just seeing if Jonah will have his heart moved to see what he's actually doing. Then Jonah goes away from the city. Why do you think Jonah goes away from the city? Is he just done with it? No. He goes away from the city to sit up on a hill to look over it, hoping, praying, anticipating that these Ninevites aren't going to take hold of this. (laughs) These Ninevites are so full of violence and anger, they're going to start going at each other again. God's going to see that, and he's just going to wipe them out. I'll just sit here and wait. And it doesn't happen. What does happen is this balding man is sitting up there and the sun is high and he's looking for shade and God causes a plant to grow over his head. And in the morning, God causes a worm to eat that plant so that it withers and dies. And then God says, I'm going to send a scorching wind. Now, it'd be easy for us to say that stuff just happened. Listen, the Bible makes it very clear. God did, God did, God did. He appointed, he appointed, he appointed. This is a place of God's correction. Why? Because he's getting to the point of saying, do you see, Jonah, that you're so concerned for a plant that you had nothing to do with, yet you don't see the people who don't have, know their right hand from their left? How broken and hard your heart is, Jonah. Do you see it? So he's not coming in and saying, you are blind, you are stupid. He is saying, do you do well to be angry? Don't you see what's happening? The second thing I find most interesting here is that God is not a God that shames. He is a God who is seeking repentance. 
You see, in this interaction with Jonah, the hope is that he will be like Nineveh. The hope is that he will turn his heart back towards God, that he will recognize what's going on. The hope that he's giving him is an opportunity. Paul reminds us that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. See, he's not shaming Jonah. He's not hoping that by, by telling him how bad he is and how much he's failed and why his mindset is so incorrect that Jonah will go, you're right, Lord, I need to get things right. No, what he's saying is, let me walk with you gently so that you can see those places in your heart that are dark and broken so that when you see them, you won't hide them from me because, see, I've walked along with you to discover them, but you will, in fact, repent of them and call out to me so that I can transform your heart. Now, the challenge for us is this. First is that we need to believe and trust that that's God. Too often we come to God as if he is that angry taskmaster who's looking to condemn and take us into shame. But that's not who he is. God is a God of compassion and love and mercy. That's what Jonah calls out. Now that's maybe a direct quote from Exodus. And the little part of Exodus that's left out here by Jonah, when Jonah says, you are a God, right, that is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relent from disaster, is this part, for those who call out your name. See, there's this place of recognition that says, we can't do it on our own. We, we can't save ourselves. We can't. If anything, we're as bad as what we think God is in causing ourselves shame and condemnation. We will often pour on our own hearts when we misstep, when we break into our brokenness, when we run away from the way that we've been called. We too often will act in a way that is shaming of ourselves and condemning of ourselves, saying there's no way then that God can accept me. But if we call out on his name, he is compassionate and just full of grace and mercy to come to us and restore us because that's who he is. All right. So it'd be great then if we see Jonah go, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'll go start a church right now in Nineveh and I'll help them know their right hand from their left. Like, I'll I'll start discipling, and and we'll start changing the city, and then we'll change the country, and then we'll change the world. But what we end with is as if there was a writer's strike in some TV show mid-season, and it never picks back up. God says to him, And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Question mark, end scene, done. What? What are we supposed to gather from that? Well, God likes beef. We see that. Or maybe he just wants to care for the cattle, for those of us who don't eat beef. I don't know that there's anything that we can completely extrapolate out from this, except for this. Too often we try to, even in this sermon today, go, this is who God is, this is who God is, this is who God is. 
and we forget that God is mystery, unattainable to hold completely. That yes, that all of who Christ, all of who God is, is revealed in Christ for us. However, his ways and his means and his methods, I don't know. It's kind of like I've read a book and I'm not sure it ends without the rest of the story. What is the rest of the story? Well, we know this, that the rest of the story is that Jesus came and he died. And in that death, he made way for us to step in. And in stepping in, then we live lives better than we've ever dreamed. Because we walk along with the God who is compassionate and gracious and merciful and abounding. Yet I don't understand how all that works. And I don't have to. I don't have to figure out God. He doesn't want to be figured out. In the fact, he wants to be worshipped, not from the standpoint of, I'm high and mighty, worship me. But from the standpoint that he deserves all worship. Because he is gracious and steadfast in his love. And so where this ends, it also begins. It begins for us to walk in the way of Jonah or the way of God. In the way of Jonah, we hold on to our own understandings of who God is, to our own beliefs and the way that we desire him to respond and act with everything that we are. And what tends to happen is this. We say, we want you to save me and mine. We want you to do the things that we want you to do, God. And if you don't act that way, then we'll deny your very existence. We'll say our life is not worth living because you've not done it the way we've wanted it to be done. Or we can walk in the way of God, always seeking to ourselves and to everyone else that we meet, a way to lead to correction and repentance, not condemnation and shame. That we walk knowing that all of us are broken. That the way God is interacting with Jonah is the way that he also interacted with the Ninevites. It's the way that he acts with all so that he can bring them into fullness with him. And so we are called then to walk in that same way, to recognize that we're not Jonah actually, that we can walk in the footpath of God. And how amazing it will be as we step into that place to seek to bring restoration to people's lives as opposed to condemnation. And so we sat there. And we say, I can't wait. I can't wait to meet Jonah. So that I can say, what else happened? But when that happens, I won't care. Because Jesus will see me and I will see him. And all those questions will pass away because I will be completely formed into the steadfast love of God. As will you. Let's pray. God, let all these things be your words. If they are not your words, let them fall short. Let them burn up. Let them easily move from our minds. But if they are from you, let them take root in our hearts so that they will bring you glory and honor and praise. Father, be with us today and let us love those well that are around us with the love that you have given us. Continue to act like who you are and let us line up with that. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.